preaching series in Colossians, not all of Colossians, just a small section of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, uh, some few, a few verses in chapter 1. So if you'd like to turn, if you've got Bibles, you want to turn to the first chapter of Colossians, that would be good. Having said that, all the scriptures we use will come up on the screen. Uh, for that reason, I'm going to turn some light down. Um, <clears throat> but you might, you might care to follow it. And um, the general title of the series is Seeing and Worshipping Jesus. It's been great we've been able to do that this morning. The name, high over all. Doesn't it thrill your heart when we sing about Jesus? Yeah? No doubts, have we? No doubts that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Absolutely wonderful. So that's what we'll be doing and uh, I'll introduce that more as we go through. Father God, help us this morning, Lord, as we consider the most wonderful subject in the world, the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. We will only touch on one aspect uh, of his work on our behalf, but Lord, we want to glory in it this morning. Help us, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Help, help the preacher, help the hearers, please, in his name. I have the first slide. Uh, if I said I was going to tell you about, yeah, there he is. If I was to tell you about a fire, brave firefighter, I've no idea what this man's name is, but I'll call him Tom Smith. Right? Um, you might be mildly interested. And if I said that we were going to have a special evening learning all about Tom Smith, you might not be that keen. Now, I might be more keen than you, because my dad was a fireman. And I kind of brought up in a fire service atmosphere. So I might be a little bit more um, interested than you. But if I told you that Tom Smith, many years ago, uh, risked his life to save you from a blazing building and then later died as a result of inhalation of smoke, um, I guess you might have more incentive to know about him. You would want to know um, everything that you could about him. You've enjoyed a full life because he surrendered his life for you in rescuing you. I think you would want to know all there was about Tom Smith. His background, his family, his career in the fire service, about his family, the people who knew him well. What was he like as a father, a husband, a son, a friend, a colleague? You'd want to know these things. And it's likely if new information came out, new reports maybe about the incident that saved your life. You'd be keen to read those because this man had become so much to you. He'd become so important in your life as you look back. Now the Apostle Paul was a man of great passions. The Apostle Paul had many passions. He had the, a passion to preach Christ where Christ was not known. That's why he travelled so widely. He was looking for places to go where Jesus was not known so he could preach Christ to them. Uh, he had a passion to bring believers into the fullness of Christ, into maturity. That was his passion. I want to present everyone perfect in Christ, he said. And, uh, but I would like to suggest to you that his greatest passion was knowing Jesus. This, is, this is, was, was his greatest passion. And in spite of the fact 
that Paul had amazing revelations from God, which he shares for us in all his writings. And although he had visions of heaven, too awesome that he, he could, not, could not explain them. It was too awesome to explain. Nevertheless, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, his cry was, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. And for all that he already knew, that spurred him on with a hunger to know Jesus more. I want to know Christ. Not only did Paul want to know Jesus better, but he wanted all believers in Jesus to know him in the fullest way possible. Now from an earthly point of view, we know that Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, the travelling preacher, the worker of miracles, the suffering servant, the enemy of the Jewish hierarchy. That's how historians would see Jesus. But Paul and the other apostles were given special revelation, special knowledge, special anointing to reveal more of Jesus. Mysteries that were hidden in the past, there were hints of them in the Old Testament, but mysteries about the revealing of the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And uh, for the next few weeks we're going to look into chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Colossians, particularly looking at verses 15 to 20, I'm not going to preach from those this morning, those verses, but we will read it together. Seeing and worshipping Jesus. Paul is telling us who Jesus is. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold, hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." We're going to have some exciting weeks when different preachers uh, open up those passages for us and reveal Jesus to us. Um, it's vital for us to understand that the scriptures are not just a source of information. Uh, we are, we're in information overload in this world, aren't we? You've, most of you have got phones with a huge amount of information on them. We're in information overload. It's not just a source of that kind of knowledge. But the scriptures are a means of revelation and primarily through the, scripture, primarily through the scriptures we get to know Jesus. That was the purpose of the apostles in their preaching. So this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said let light shine out of darkness you remember that's what he said at creation right at the beginning let light shine out of darkness and of course it did he said, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our minds are blinded. 
It needs the light of the glory of God to be shined into our hearts. This scripture tells us that there are two agents at work if we are to see the glory of Christ. There's the apostolic preaching. Absolutely important that the, the word of God is preached because it's through this way that God is going to save people. But there's also the work of the Holy Spirit to open blind eyes. The two things must work. If the two things are not working together, people will not see the glory of Christ. Spirit and word, word and spirit working together. So our purpose is not that we get some more information about Jesus as we go through this series, but that we will give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to shine in our hearts. That's what we need. We need the revelation of God, the Holy Spirit, to shine in our hearts. Then we will see more of the glory of Jesus and rejoice in what God has made Jesus to be for us. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but all the revelation that God gives us of Jesus is for us. It's for us. It's not a general bit of knowledge out there in the universe. Everything that's revealed is for us. It's for our good and for our knowledge and for our glory. So, our goal is not puffed up knowledge. We're not out to give you a degree in theology. The goal is worship. That's our goal in presenting Jesus. It's worship. So what's this got to do with our firefighter, Tom Smith? Well, in the lead up to these verses that uh, we have, verses 12 to 14, Paul tells us that in order for us to receive our inheritance, which is to enjoy the glory of God, first we have to be rescued from what Paul calls the dominion of darkness. And this is the scripture I want us to be concentrating on this morning. So here we are, verse 12. We break into the middle of a verse here, just trying to lead up the, the objects as the Father. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. God qualifies us to share in this kingdom. For he has rescued us, where? From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see the contrast, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And it's God, through Jesus, who has rescued us. Just as knowing that Tom Smith rescued us from a blazing inferno at great personal cost may motivate us, as I suggested earlier, to know him better. Then to know that Jesus has rescued us from a far worse peril, a far worse peril than a blazing inferno, um, I suggest might give us extra motivation to get to know him better, getting to know Jesus better. At this point, you might um, think, well, I think I can understand the perils of a blazing house. Fire is terrible, raging fire is awful, being trapped in a fire, a raging fire, must be awful. But I'm not sure I know what this dominion of darkness is that I'm supposed to have been rec uh, uh, rescued from. Um, what's it all about? Well, this is what I will look at in the time that's left to us this morning, with a hope that it will be a springboard uh, for seeing and worshipping Jesus. As we look into the scriptures, uh, <clears throat> I think I've moved on a bit, haven't I, somewhere? Okay, sorry. Uh, I've, I've jumped 
in my notes. Never mind, we'll carry on as we are. It's all right. I trust that this will be one of our motivations for worship. I, I don't know about you, but I've been in meetings where um, people have said um, they're worship leaders and they're a bit frustrated. And uh, they've said, um, come on folks, um, um, we're not worshipping Jesus as we should. Come on, let, let's sing that song again. Let's give it all that you've got. Okay? Let, why don't you sing it as if you really mean it? And of course... <laughs> If, if we don't mean it, there's no point in singing it. The only way to get people worshipping is to show them Jesus. So, it's Jesus who rescues us from the dominion of darkness uh, and brings us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Because we live in a relatively peaceful, law-abiding part of the world, um, I think we can view our lives and con- conduct in stark, con- stark contrast to much of the world we see on our television screens. Um, Just recently, um, and even yesterday, we're seeing scenes where Muslims are reacting to an amateur film uh, which seems to disgrace the Prophet Muhammad. Um, Look at the darkness that that is displayed in all that, the darkness in people's hearts that they have to act with such vehemence uh, and such anger to something that, well, it's... It's just out of proportion, isn't it, for what has been going on. And um, the world, world history is littered with what we could describe as deeds of darkness. We could illustrate this with examples of the cruel, despotic rulers that there have been, like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and Mao Zedong and Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi and terrorists like Osama bin Laden. And we say, yes, that's darkness, and a world away from the kind of world that I live and I live in. But in terms of identifying the dominion of darkness, surprisingly, God does not distinguish between the darkness of these terrible regimes and what we might call the hidden darkness in our relatively peaceful, democratic society with our nice communities and our nice families. What we see is relative. Um, what God sees is absolute in terms of darkness. So commonly, if you ask people to name sins, they list things such as murder, theft, rape, deceit, hatred, and so on. We tend to recognise and evaluate sin um, and darkness that descends on communities by how it affects people, how it affects people one with another, relationships with people. But God measures it firstly by how it affects him. He is, of course, concerned about relationships with people but his message is be reconciled to me and then you'll be reconciled to people in your community so from the verses we're considering we see two things about the dominion of darkness firstly it's all inclusive Paul said he has rescued us he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness he doesn't say you he doesn't say me He says, us, it's all inclusive. Secondly, he says, that it's God who rescues us. In other words, we cannot rescue ourselves. And the Bible tells us that the whole world is under the dominion of darkness. And here we're not talking about physical territory, uh, about, about people, about communities and nations. Essentially, it's the hearts of people. The world, when the hearts of people are 
under the dominion of darkness. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. For since the creation of God's invisible qualities, his eternal, sorry, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen by being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Note that, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And then Paul explains this darkness in Ephesians 4. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Their hearts are hardened. And he tells us also in Ephesians that Christians were once part of the darkness. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Note he doesn't say you were living in the darkness. He says you were darkness. These people who became Christians, once they were actually darkness. Without these biblical insights, it, uh, uh, we naturally find it hard to take it that all people who don't know Jesus are part of the darkness. We look around us and we see many lovely people, people who are selfless, uh, who are kind, who are merciful, and so on in our world, some really nice people. And yet, from the scriptures, it's suggested that they are still part of the darkness. How can this be? Well, we know that man was created in the image of God. And even though that image is marred, it still shines through. Uh, it still, we still see gracious and good deeds in people, but they are still unconsciously under the dominion of darkness. And even sometimes choosing the darkness rather than the light, although they wouldn't see it that way. I don't know if you've experienced it like me, but you've been talking to somebody that you would say a really nice person, lovely person, full of good deeds, um, probably think um, their deeds are better than mine, even as a Christian. And then you start maybe to talk to them about God, about Jesus, and suddenly a barrier goes up. You know, no, no, don't, don't talk to me about that. No, I don't, want, I don't want to know about that. And yet this good and lovely person suddenly has got a hard heart towards God. Uh, and it's quite uncharacteristic of them. In essence, then, <clears throat> this darkness is an absence of the knowledge of God. What they lack is light, and the light can only come from God. So this darkness is an absence of the light of the glory of God that we read about. Um, if you think about the natural world, darkness doesn't have any substance of its own, does it? it you cannot, we can't bring darkness into this room and make it dark. All we can do is to shut out the light. It is light that has energy. Darkness hasn't. It's just an absence of light. And the only light that can, can dispel this dominion of darkness is the light of God. This is why the word light is so frequently associated with Jesus and his coming into the world. As we know from the Gospels, not everybody wanted to come to the light of Jesus. That was clear. We can read that in the Gospels. This is what uh, 
John tells us, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world, as we know. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We understand from that is, unless we follow Jesus, we are in darkness. There's no qualification there. That's it. We are only in darkness. So without the light of Jesus, the whole world is under the dominion of darkness and we cannot escape ourselves. It's rather like being in a completely dark room and we're groping around for the light switch and we cannot find it. And in this dominion of darkness, unless God comes in and pours light into it, we will remain in the darkness. God the Father sent Jesus on a rescue mission to deliver us from the power of darkness. This is what Jesus says in John 12. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. The inference being, if we don't believe in him, we stay in darkness. God has rescued us from the darkness not just because there are consequences now. We've seen there are consequences to the darkness in our world, the hatred, uh, the awful things that we see around, but because there are eternal consequences to the darkness. There are eternal consequences. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. So the darkness can't remain darkness and hidden forever. There is a time when God will reveal the motives of men's hearts. The hidden darkness will be exposed. And then he says in Romans, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. The writer to the Hebrews said, it's given to men once to die and then to face the judgment. So there is wrath that in this darkness, if we remain in darkness, there is a wrath that is being stored up against us. That's a bit scary isn't it? It's a scary thought, but this is what the Bible teaches. There will be a day when God will judge them and expose men's hearts. And he says that you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. And in fact, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that before we came to Christ, we were objects of God's wrath. But the good news is that Jesus can rescue us. Jesus can rescue us. He's writing to the Thessalonians here and he says, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. And this is it. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So Jesus doesn't only rescue us from the destructive things that are in our lives that affect our life while we're here on earth, but Jesus also rescues us from the wrath of 
to come. And he said in verse in chapter 5 earlier in 1 Thessalonians, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel then, the good news about Jesus, is making known the good news, that God rescues people from the dominion of darkness through faith in Jesus Christ and brings them into the kingdom of light. And this was Paul's burden, as I say, to preach Christ where he had not been known. And his commission was given to him right at the beginning of his conversion. If you know, Paul was once called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he was a Pharisee. And he thought he was doing God a favour by persecuting Christians. He was arresting them, throwing them into prison. We believe that many lost their lives uh, by his consent, if not from him personally. So he was on his way to Damascus with letters of authority uh, to arrest Christians and to throw them into prison. And Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road in a blinding light. Uh, And he said, who are you, Lord? This is what Paul said. And this is what he Jesus answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And this is it. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it's to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. From time to time, I don't know if it's the kind of program you watch, but on the television there are sometimes programs about dramatic rescues. I think they're you know, um, you know, very informative and, and quite thrilling, showing ter- the terrible plight of people, uh, very often in places where they could not rescue uh, themselves, facing death. And we also see the heroism of the rescue team uh, at, or an individual. And there's always a great joy at the end of it when they manage to rescue uh, the person that has been uh, trapped. And uh, often the rescuers had to leave a relatively safe environment to enter a very hostile environment, risking their own lives to save others who could not save themselves. And in a small way, this is a picture of God's rescue mission. Uh, We see God's love for a world of lost people captivated by darkness and unable to escape the darkness and facing God's righteous judgment and wrath. He sent Jesus... Uh, from the glories of heaven, a very safe environment into the darkness to experience the full force of the darkness and assume the curse of the darkness himself and then overcome it. Modern rescuers seek as far as possible to protect themselves, don't they, from the hostile environment they may be entering. They want to remain relatively unaffected by the hostile environment uh, that they're going into, the ravages of that environment. But for Jesus, the rescue, his rescue, was just the opposite. Jesus being the eternal son of God, we could say was infinitely fireproof. 
Jesus could have remained totally unaffected by all the problems, the sin, the awful things of this world. But he had totally abandoned that protection in order to fully identify with sinful human beings like us. And he submitted himself to the darkness. We could say he submitted himself to our darkness, the darkness that was in the world. Scripture that well illustrates this is Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So It's a difficult kind of sentence to understand, but what it really means is Jesus did not take advantage of the fact that he was God in coming to earth. He goes on, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The picture of Jesus that we have, God used Jesus, God used the darkness to punish Jesus in our place. He used our darkness. And the picture of Jesus that we have that the artist paint um, is rather sanitised because people were crucified totally naked on a cross. And of course there would have been a lot more blood than the picture that we saw. But God used the darkness to punish Jesus in our place. Quite amazing, isn't it? We talked a little about that, that exchange that God made. That God took the sinless Christ and poured our sin into him that we might become the righteousness of God. When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says this. He's preaching to the crowd who were responsible for the death of Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So it was God's plan, God's foreknowledge, to use wicked men to carry out um, this placing the darkness onto Jesus, for Jesus to absorb the darkness. It was God's plan and purpose that God took that sinless Christ and poured our sin into him, our darkness into him. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, we could read the whole chapter, it's full of it. But it says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a description of the darkness, resisting God, going our own way, hardening our hearts against God, and going our own way. And it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took the punishment that we justly deserve. Jesus took that punishment. This is how Jesus rescued us. He didn't go in with a fireproof suit, grabbed hold of us and dragged us out. 
but he came and dealt with the problem that made us darkness, that caused us to be darkness, that not just live in the darkness. That's how Jesus rescued us. So our last slide says, Jesus, our rescuer. It's Jesus who delivered us from the dominion of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of the son he loves. I think it must happen from time to time that somebody who risked their life to go and rescue somebody, say from a fire, finds that that person is resistant. You think, well, they would jump at the idea of being uh, removed from the fire, but sometimes they're resistant. I don't know whether it's because they're afraid of what the process might be to get out of the fire. Uh, They might be afraid that they've got to go down a ladder, a fire ladder, or they don't trust the firemen to to actually get them out safely. And so they resist it. And of course that happens with people when it comes to Jesus. They see that that the something of the goodness and grace of Jesus, and they see that they they're in danger, they're in mortal danger. But to to have with the cross that line, to put their trust in Jesus, when the future is unknown, what will this mean? What will I have to give up? What will it mean to follow Jesus? And they resist it, they put it off from time to time. But we know that how foolish it would be for somebody in the midst of a fire for a, to resist the help of a fireman to take them out of that terrible inferno. And the same is with Jesus. We need to trust that when God saves us, and God gives us everything that is good for us and that we can trust Jesus, the rescuer. And I don't know if there's anybody here this morning and that you've thought, yeah, I can see all this, I'd like to be a Christian, I'm not really sure, but have you really put your trust in Jesus, the rescuer? Even though it may seem scary at this point, put your trust in Jesus, the rescuer. Give yourself to him. Have confidence that he can take you and that he can not only rescue you, from problems in this life, which he often does, but rescue you from the wrath to come. It's as real, it's as real as that, to rescue you from the the wrath to come. We're going to sing a song, Light of the World, You Step Down into Darkness. And if you've never really given your life to Jesus, if you've never fully trusted him for your salvation, then why not come forward during this song? We'd love to pray with you to tell you more. But God sent Jesus in the world to be our rescuer uh, and he can be your rescuer too. Thank you. Let's stand. Let's stand, yeah.